Well, brothers and sisters, it would be wrong to gather together on a day of Thanksgiving and not consider the word of the Lord in detail. So I would ask you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 1, and I'm going to be looking at uh, verses 1, or rather 13 through the next chapter, 2.10. As I said, I'm I'm grateful to God for uh, (laughs) giving me the energy to stand upright. I will not be uh, eating with you. I think that would be foolish. I don't want to give you whatever it is I have. But um, I'm also going to pray that the Lord lets me uh, preach his word with freedom and so that you would understand and that we would all come to a better knowledge of what the Lord has to tell us. God, our Father, as we come into your presence today, we pray, Lord, that you would be the light of our hearts. I pray that you would help me to speak clearly to these, your little lambs. Lord, as we celebrate your work now, today, in taking away Roe versus Wade, Lord, we want to celebrate also your work in the redemption and the vindication of your people in every age. And as we consider the fact that we've always been dealing with the same spiritual forces of darkness, Lord, help us to remember that our weapons are not the weapons of the world, but rather we have been given weapons that are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds, particularly the great weapon of prayer. Help us to continue to employ that, to cry out to you as the people of Israel cried out to you, for you have always been the deliverer of your people. Now, Lord, hear us as we pray and teach us as we come to your word. We know, Lord, that worship is a dialogue. We speak to you in prayer and song, and you speak to us through your word. Help us to hear that word now. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Reading from Exodus chapter 1. And starting with verse 13, I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other Puah. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi, So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. When we talk about what the Israelites were going through in Egypt, the difficulties that they were having, most of the time people will obviously point to the fact, well, they were slaves. They were enduring slavery. It was an awful, awful thing to, to labor day in, day out as somebody else's chattel property. You were a slave. Your kids were born into slavery. And all you did was labor for other people all of your life. And if you wanted anything to eat, you had to labor for yourself as well. So you weren't just laboring to build the treasure cities of Pharaoh. You were laboring on top of all of that to provide for your own family. It was a terrible, terrible way to live. But it wasn't just the literal slavery, that bondage that the children of Israel were under that they were suffering from, was it? It was several other things. I mean, for one thing, they they didn't have a day of rest. There was no Sabbath. It was something that had been lost to them, that one day in seven that they could rest from their labors. They didn't have that in Egypt. Uh, There was no worship of the Lord openly in Egypt. Moses points out to Pharaoh much later on in the book in Exodus 8.26 that if the people of Israel had attempted to worship God in Egypt, then the Egyptians would stone them. Their worship was an abomination to them. And incidentally, brothers and sisters, this is something we don't remember enough and enough. We ought to be thankful to God that we're able to do just what we're doing right now. What are we doing? We're worshiping God, but we're not underground. We're not hiding in a basement. We're not gathered together in the woods someplace. We're not off on a, in a Scottish moor far from prying eyes or, or hidden in a barn or something like that. We're worshiping openly. I actually told people, hey, we're going to be getting together. Thankfully, people actually heard, and they they came. But brothers and sisters, in many countries in the world, people can't do that. Christians are not able to openly worship in most of the Muslim world, most of the communist world. I have friends in China who who send me pictures of, of the police actually raiding their church services and tell me about the indignities that they're forced to suffer all the time. Their worship is considered an abomination, just as it was in Egypt. We should be thankful that we don't have to go through that, just as the Israelites were thankful that they were delivered from not being able to openly worship the Lord. But as you can see from these verses also, they had an additional terrible affliction. The government decreed infanticide for their children. All their male children were to be put to death. Now, Pharaoh did this because he feared the Israelites. He feared that they would become a mighty nation and that if another nation invaded Egypt, that they would side with that nation and that they would help them out because they were slave people. And so he determined, I'm going to gradually whittle this people down and make them into nothing. And then we'll intermarry once there are no more Hebrew men. We'll intermarry with the Hebrew women and gradually they'll, they'll fade into the population. They'll, they'll disappear entirely. But we know whose plan ultimately he was carrying out. This is rather, you know, the same plan that the devil had uh, given Herod in killing all of the children who were born at the time of Jesus in, in Bethlehem, at the time of his birth. 
The reason being, obviously, that the devil has always been trying to wipe out that promised seed, the one who would crush his head, Christ. And so here, if Pharaoh can succeed in wiping out the people of God, he wipes out the plan of redemption at the same time. He cuts off the line from whom Jesus the Savior would come. And so we know whose work Pharaoh is doing in this infanticide that he decrees. And how does he plan to do it? Well, he does it through the medical system. He orders all the Hebrew midwives to kill the children that they're delivering if they are male. He literally ordered the very people who were involved in bringing life into the world to participate in taking life away just as it was beginning. I've always thought that was one of the most horrible things about the insistence that we see in modern culture in training OBGYNs to also perform abortions. These are the people who we rely on to bring children into the world. It creates a, a terrible cognitive dissonance, doesn't it, when we have hospitals where you have a NICU, where we have nurses who are struggling to save the lives, in many cases, of these these premature babies born 26 weeks, 27 weeks, sometimes even down to 24 weeks. Whereas on the other side of the hospital, they're killing fully healthy children who are almost or at the same gestational point. Makes no sense whatsoever. It's, 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 but that's the kind of the, the chaos, the evil that this kind of thinking brings in. So he wants the midwives to put these children to death as they're being born. But happily, the midwives, we read, didn't do it. They didn't follow his orders, even though he's Pharaoh. He's the head of the greatest superpower on the face of the planet. And he says to these women, you will put all the Hebrew males to death, and they don't do it. Why? And the answer is simple, because they feared God. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. I hope it's the case in your own heart that there is nothing and no one that you fear more than God. That there is no earthly authority that you would put over God. That if somebody commanded you to do something that went against God's clear instructions, I pray that you wouldn't do it because you love and fear God. They did. Now, By putting love and fear in their hearts and giving them that willingness to disobey the commands that go against the Lord's commands, the Lord here is overruling Pharaoh. Note that. God is saying, no, not Pharaoh's orders, but my orders, my commandments will stand. Now, Pharaoh, of course, had thought that his earthly authority would be enough to coerce anyone into doing anything. But note this, it cannot overcome the fear of the Lord. And that's been the case again and again in history. We have seen, as whether it was the Sanhedrin ordering the apostles to stop preaching in the name of the Lord, whether it was the king of England telling, uh, the king of England and Scotland telling our, our covenanting forefathers to stop meeting and worshiping on the moors, or whether it was the Chinese government telling our Chinese brethren to stop meeting again and again. The fear of the Lord has animated God's people to say no. We are going to continue, no matter what the cost is, to do what the Lord tells us. And we should have that same, that same desire in our heart and be thankful when it's found. We should be grateful that the Lord has raised up people like Shifra and Pua, these Hebrew midwives. It's interesting, isn't it, that, do you know that they don't record in Exodus, it doesn't record the name of the Pharaoh. But it records the name of two midwives forever. When we think about it, we have two midwives 
exalted more highly than the king of Egypt for all time, better known by name here. Well, that lifting up or exalting of people and giving them that desire to serve God is still going on. Even in the modern day, there are women who are of the same mold as Shifra and Pua, and we should be thankful for that. I read the story a little while ago, this happened in 2020, the, the Swedish government attempted, in fact, it ordered all midwives to do exactly what Pharaoh said uh, was to be done. They were to be willing to perform abortions as well as bringing children into the world. And two uh, midwives, Eleanor Grimark and Linda Steen, refused to do so. And in fact, they carried their case all the way to the European Court of Human Rights. And even though they lost, they still refused to do what the Swedish government said. They actually went to a different country and continued to serve as midwives where they could follow their conscience. So the Lord continues to raise up women who have that same spirit, who would say with the apostles before the Sanhedrin when they received those, those awful orders to stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ, who will answer, we ought to obey God rather than men. And that, as I said, should be our heart's desire as well. For the Lord says, those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. That's 1 Samuel 2.30. And you see in the pages here how those midwives were honored. Brothers and sisters, it has been my, uh, it's been my joy to see that happen time and time again. People have taken a stand for the Lord, for doing his commandments. And the Lord has graciously honored them. The world may throw them you know, to the curb. It may pour its opprobrium upon them. It may treat them as the off-scourings, as Paul says. But yet, the Lord loves them and honors them, and they lose nothing. Not just in this world, but in the next as well. Well, Pharaoh's plan we saw uh, to coerce the medical authorities into doing his will and slaughtering the Hebrew infants failed so he passed another law, a more general genocide law. This was his final solution for the Jewish problem. And what was it? He was going to have all of his people uh, throw the babies, these, uh, the Jewish babies, in the Nile. Okay? We were going to drown all the male babies like cats in a bag. And surely that would be the end of the people of God. But as we see, it wasn't. Uh, here we even see that the, the daughter of Pharaoh himself disobeyed his commandment. Did you ever think about that? This was her own father's will that these children should be drowned. By rights, as soon as she realized, she opened the basket and she obviously saw it was a Hebrew baby because he was circumcised. And then she should have done what? She should have thrown him into the water. That would have been the end of it. But she doesn't. She takes him in. What does she do? She adopts him. The daughter of Moses, uh, daughter of Pharaoh, rescues Moses from the river, and yet her heart is filled with compassion, a kind of compassion that comes from the Lord. And she adopts this child who would otherwise have been killed, and she raises him in the palace. And this, of course, is the very man that God will eventually use to deliver his people from their bondage in Egypt. And we, we sometimes forget. I, I mean, we live in this world and we look at the darkness, we, we watch the news and so on, and we can be completely overwhelmed and think that the darkness is overcoming the light and that it can't fail to win eventually, that all goodness must be extinguished in the world. I mean, spend enough time on Twitter and you know, that, that conclusion almost becomes inevitable. But that's not the truth, brothers and sisters. 
Men may pass wicked laws, but as they do so, and we know when they do that, what are they doing? They're doing the will of their father, the devil, but the Lord still, his plans are not thwarted. And those laws will not remain in force forever. Their, their plans will not come to fruition. Even though the children of Israel, for instance, lived another 80 years under bondage and enforced infanticide or retroactive abortion, we might call it, the Lord had already brought forth the instrument of their deliverance. And by the numbers that left with Moses, we know that the majority of the Egyptians did not carry out Pharaoh's orders. We see the example of that, as I said, starting in his own household, his own, own daughter was not carrying out his orders. What happened? The Lord once again overruled the civil authority. He overruled Pharaoh. And in due time, the people of God were led out of Egypt through the Red Sea, by Moses, and what did they do on the opposite side? When they reached the other side of the river, did they say, well, no, or were they upset or angry? Or when they reached the other side of the Red Sea, they danced, they celebrated, they gave thanks for their deliverance. And so too, that, that sets the standard in redemptive history for us. It should be the case that we too, when we are delivered from something, when we go through another one of those, those, those marks of, of God's redemptive history, and there should be a celebration going on. We need to remember. Because we know that it wasn't you know, just Pharaoh and the Egyptians behind all of that evil that was done against the Jews. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We know that the devil and his minions, the world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly plotting to overturn the plans of God, but they will never, ever succeed. Their plans ultimately will come to naught. Even when they do their worst, the Lord turns it to good. As Joseph said to his brethren who sold him into slavery, we've been going through Genesis and learning about that, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. The worst that his brothers could do was turn to good. In Acts chapter 2, we see on that day of Pentecost, Peter is surrounded by a crowd, many of whom have actually put Jesus to death. They were the people screaming, crucify, crucify. And yet Peter is now preaching to them, telling them what you actually were doing was putting the promised one of Israel to death. The Lord of glory proves using prophecies from the Old Testament. He shows how Christ fulfilled them. He says, you yourselves saw the signs and wonders that he did. And then he says this to the men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him. And your men says, you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, a crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Yes, you sinned when you took Jesus and you crucified him. This was the greatest evil that was ever done in human history. And yet it was God's purpose that that would happen, that you might be redeemed. By the very act of putting the Savior to death, men were saved from the sin of putting the Savior to death. That's one to wrap your head around, isn't it? God used the greatest evil to bring about the greatest good. 
And he does that again and again and again. So too here in Exodus, it took a lot of time, but God delivered his people out of Egypt and he ended the infanticide that was going on in their midst. And it took 49 years, but Roe came to an end. And that too was the hand of God. We need to see his hand working in our lives as well. And I have no doubt that because of the greater deliverance of God's people through Jesus Christ, all of the evils that we currently wail about, all wars, all death, all famine, all disease, all pestilence, all of these things will eventually be brought to an end as well. But in the meantime, what do we need to be doing? We need to be not simply grumbling because we don't have the, the fullness, the pleroma of our salvation immediately, that we don't have all things now, that we don't have, for instance, our, our celestial bodies yet. My body is still kind of decrepit, still falling apart. But I shouldn't be sitting here simply lamenting that fact, but rather I should be praising God and being thankful for all the work that he has done. Why is that so important? Well, there's, there's a scene in the end of the movie. I'm not saying go out and watch it immediately. Um, uh, it was, came out a while back. Um, Excalibur. It had one of my favorite Shakespearean actors, Nicol Williamson, was playing Merlin. And there's a scene where the wars, where Arthur is establishing his kingdom, finally come to an end. And all of the knights are streaming in. And they're saying, the wars are over. And everybody's slapping each other on the back. And he stops them all. He says, peace. Be silent. Stand back. That's it. Look upon this moment, savor it, rejoice with great gladness. Remember it always. And then he says, why? Why should we do that? Why should we say, I was there that night with Arthur the king? He says, for it is the doom of men that they forget. Now, obviously, that's not from the Bible, but it's true. We forget. We as a people forget these moments. We forget the great good things that God has done in our lives. And then when we go through a dip, where we go through a time where we're going through the valley, we forget the mountaintop. We forget all of the wonderful things that God has been doing. We forget the stages that he's been taking us through in our own lives. Each and every one of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ are a testament to his grace. And I know that he has done wonderful things in your lives. When those things happen, stop Savor them, remember them, give him thanks. And then later on, you will be able to take hold of and cherish those memories, remembering them. This was something, for instance, that animated the exiles when they were in Babylon. They remembered the times of going up to the feasts of the Lord. They remembered the good things. They remembered the God who loved them and who kept his promises. We should too. The Lord has ever kept his promises to his children. And his his plans will not fail. So let us rejoice. Let us stop. Let us be thankful for a moment before we press on in the work that the Lord has set for us. Let's go before him now. God, our Father, we are so thankful that you are the one who ordains times and seasons. You're the one who raises up kings and brings them down again, who establishes empires and then turns them to dust. You are the one who is bringing about all his redemptive purposes. Not one of your plans will ever be thwarted. Help us then to stop for a moment and to rejoice, to be thankful, to remember this moment, the moment when you brought about an end to a great evil. For it is our problem, yes, that we forget. Help us to remember that. O Lord, be gracious to us. 
We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's stand again and sing. Now thank we all our God. God, our Father, we do now pray, Lord, that you would help us as we go our way to be thankful every day for the mercies that you give us, to remember that you have not forgotten us, that your will will never be overcome, that Satan will not triumph, and that his power is already broken by the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. Help us to do what we can with the resources that you've given us to expand your kingdom and to aid the ministries that you've established. Help us to raise up those who are, who are cast down. Help us to help those who are in the midst of crises and help us to love you with all of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' holy name.